0: Alto University Podcast.
1: This is Cloud Richards. I'm Tommy Cop, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing very well, yes. Yeah, a nice sunny morning in New York. And I haven't gone outside yet, but I think it's not too cold. Yesterday was very warm, so I don't know what today will be like. We've had a strange heat wave the past week.
1: Whoa! So, um, in Fahrenheit, how warm it is there? Then uh,
2: I can tell you in Celsius. Um, I'm trying to train myself in Celsius. Ah, yeah, yeah, of
1: course.
0: Yeah.
2: So it was like 24, 25 yesterday. Today, I think it's going to be a high of 14 or 15. So it's quite a drop.
1: Yeah, it's in Helsinki, it's like five to 10 degrees. Oh my gosh. It's... (laughs) Oh my gosh. Some nights it's already minus something already, but... Yeah. Yeah, it's Finland. (laughs) You know, I don't know if I
2: told you my um friends that I saw in barcelona said they're gonna spend the summer in finland next year because it was too hot in barcelona
1: oh uh, yeah you might have mentioned about yeah. it yeah so that's amazing yeah yeah we welcome all the people who <laughs> absolutely love cold and dark <laughs> months i mean we have also summer but it's uh you know there's this joke like i do quite often like is it really dark and cold in finland and in
0: reality,
1: it is. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, yeah. Hey, uh, can you sh- uh, can you sh- uh, share to listeners about yourself and your background?
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so my name is, is Darren Guler. I don't know if we went over that. And um, I have a education technology ed tech company called Technikio, where we design experiences to help people create with, technology and introduce them to concepts of everyday engineering as we call it um, so problem solving and engineering for real world everyday problems and I also teach at Columbia in the Teachers College and at Parsons in their design and technology program and I'm based in Brooklyn New York
1: Amazing. Um, uh, Is it, is your company um, operating uh, just in New York or is it like USA wide or global?
2: Yeah, we have our office in New York, but we work with distributors and partners all over the world, really. So, okay, uh, but yeah, as far as offices, we just have our one little space in Brooklyn.
1: Hey, um, I mean, we met and um, It was some weeks ago in Barcelona in Steam Conference, and um, and uh, I mean, learned so much about your background in design and and got interested in your company and activities, and that's why we are having this deep dive into into design. And that's um, that's uh, perhaps that's something I would like to really start with. Like, what mm. do you think? What is design and mm. why do we need it if we need it.
2: <laughs> wow. That's a big question. It's interesting. I'm teaching this class called Inquiry Based Art and Design. And last week or the week before I made them think about what is the difference between art and design. <laughs> it was an interesting discussion. Um I think that design is necessary to provide solutions for I mean I think design and engineering I guess have a lot in common and um yeah design provides a lot of solutions for the way we experience things the way we communicate with each other the way that we um observe the world it offers different perspectives and challenges us to Question um, or not question. You know, some design is also intended to be very intuitive, uh, but design, I believe, always has a purpose. I think that's kind of the main thing that we drew out at the end of that debate with my students that art doesn't necessarily have a purpose, which I think is still up for question. I don't know that everyone would agree with that, but I feel that design, you can definitely say. There's always a purpose.
1: Mm-hmm. That's super interesting. So, was it um, in your class with uh, students uh, when you discussed about like what is the difference between art and design? Mm-hmm. Was it um, was it that. Everybody agreed about that, that uh, distinction or? No,
2: I mean, there's, so they came from various backgrounds, some artists, like traditional arts, like painting, some designers. And so I think it's also interesting, depending on what training you get and kind of what they tell you, right? When you're taking these Mm -hmm. classes, like you're an artist, you're not a designer. This is, um, you know, even yesterday, actually, we were, I had them read this um, paper about this kind of science education research study where it was really open ended, but they did have science journals for um, the kids to take notes, which I think is also, you know, a common practice. Designers often have a little sketchbook. And so in my mind, I was very curious, like how they would feel about the science journal (laughs) and if they would see it as a sketchbook and the ones who have more of a formal arts training really didn't see it as the same thing at all and thought it was way too rigid and that it was not allowing the children to think freely and really prescribing Mm -hmm. uh, a template for them. So I think that, um, there's, there was a lot of different arguments when we were having the design versus art debate about, um, yeah, just the intention behind what you're doing, and, um, and again, this ability to make art just for the sake of making art, which is arguably mm-hmm. a purpose in itself, but it's not like I'm designing a door handle and it's going to. Fit on mm-hmm. the door and turn this way, um, which is probably mm-hmm. what they were thinking more when they were thinking about design. But uh, you know, lately there's so many different little branches of design. Everyone is coining a new term. And I was looking at this list the other day, and I also saw um there was like design fiction, radical design, design art. And I was like, oh, no, we even have design art now. That's what they've totally merged. Um, and there's this really interesting <laughs> mapping that a colleague of mine has made uh, about uh, different fields of art and design where he maps them based on what's constrained and un- unconstrained. And so he puts like formal product design and constrained um, and art and unconstrained. And we looked at that. And even there, there was, you know, some disagreements with how he had mapped it out. But they generally agreed with this design has constraints and art doesn't have constraints.
1: Wow, that's super interesting. Because I was just about to ask, like, is it like design has more restrictions, Mm -hmm. more constraints, if you like? And then art is more like, okay, well, let's do whatever we want to do, which is try to communicate with the aim of communicating something mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, about the world or about ourselves yeah yeah is it is it also like if you have these constraints they they help the designer to also find the purpose right because you have some some limitations so it's mm-hmm. it's kind of guiding the thinking and the design process to provide something
2: yeah i think there are a useful. lot of I guess techniques right so about mm-hmm. like developing a persona of the user the journey of the user all of these things that are helping you find the solution but are maybe in a way constraining you to think about it and like
0: mm-hmm.
2: um step-by-step process right so mm-hmm. I think you can still be very creative with that, but you can also just follow it and then maybe it's it's not so creative. It's, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you said that it's um, design is now everywhere and uh, people are coining new terms, but uh, um, why is it? So, I mean, there is this maker culture and, of course, design thinking and uh, what you call everyday engineering
2: mm-hmm.
1: Um are getting super I don't know popular. if I came so, up
2: with that. I don't know if um, I can take that.
1: Well, it's, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, you used the term. <laughs> yeah, you used the term at least. and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I attribute it to you, so. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> because I learned it from you, yeah. <laughs> but, um hey, w- what is in this time that makes all this, you know, like design thinking, maker culture and and well, everyday engineering so popular and and needed.
2: Mm. Um, Yeah, I thought about this when you when you asked. And there's this one paper I read recently that was talking about the reasons for like DIY maker culture, and the one that I thought really resonated was that. We need to teach people to be producers and not just consumers of technology. And Mm -hmm. I think that there's a really big push for that, um, especially in this STEM education, like 21st century education. So um, yeah, I think a lot of it comes from this need for innovation or desire for innovation as well.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: and um i don't know how it is in finland but in america in education there's a really big emphasis on that you know they're teaching little kids about entrepreneurship which i find interesting <laughs> <All> <laughs> <long>. <laughs> yeah
1: yeah um, i can guess
2: it's not a shock
1: it's yeah it's i think it's coming to Finland as well not yet to like kindergarten kids but uh at least in high schools they are like specific like high schools um, that it's an entrepreneurship and it's it's happening
2: yeah here yeah. as well um but yeah at the same time I think it's interesting here at least and I think we're all I don't know again how to send someone i'd be curious but there's also this brand of maker culture and making and mm-hmm. you know there's this big company maker media that started all the maker fairs and had make magazine and in the beginning they actually had make magazine and craft magazine which i thought was mm-hmm. and then they got rid of craft <laughs> I don't know if it was absorbed by me or if they just realized that that was, you know, not the, maybe it wasn't doing as well. Um, so, so yeah, it's kind of like evolved into a specific brand and definition. And there's been a lot of pushback against some of it. I think there's a lot of emphasis on like a very masculine way of thinking about, making like let's just make the fastest Mm -hmm. coolest drone and Mm -hmm. um and it's not often incorporating or featuring women and so um there's just been a lot of dialogue about why that is and i think that maybe the space that they're pulling from is you know, more male dominated, but now they're making more of an Uh effort to show um, that it doesn't need to be that way. And, Uh you know, it's something that I didn't even really think about until I went to a talk and like saw the statistics that it was like out of 60 issues of this make magazine, maybe four had Uh women on the cover, which is crazy.
1: Oh, whoa! I don't,
2: don't quote me on that. It was something like that. Yeah. Yeah
1: yeah that is super but how, how do you um, this is super interesting because I, I'm just um, thinking some years ago I was part of um, uh, creating a new international master's program mm-hmm. and uh, we were intentionally thinking like what kind of words should be used and mm-hmm. what kind of message should be um craft if you like uh, so that we would get uh, equal like gender equality like basically male both female and male mm-hmm. applying to the program and uh it worked out pretty well but it was so much uh, well design <laughs> so much careful thinking like uh, what is the message really and uh, what is the how, how does the how to make the program um, appealing both to female and male and not just male which is kind of the traditional in computer science related yeah programs
2: yeah I mean I think what do
1: you think uh, yeah is it like certain words or how How do you think is
2: yeah I think what is the there way? are certain words but it's also very visual for people right so again mm-hmm. that's like Who's on the cover of the magazine? If it's you're subscribing to this magazine and it's constantly just men on the cover, maybe yeah. even go so far as to say white men, then it might not really resonate with you, you know, or just it might not mm. feel like it's your group, your tribe. Um, and so I think it's just important to be deliberate about who you're featuring. And it can go too far as well. I don't know, I was just at this education conference and some of these images on people's slides. It's like there's one kid of every ethnicity all together. Oh,
1: yeah,
2: <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I think just trying to remain inclusive in your messaging. Um, mm. But I, I feel like I diverted a little bit from your original question. So feel free to, yeah. to bring it back no, as it's well
1: uh, no this is super super interesting um yeah and it's also all part of the discussion about the culture like right? gender is one thing but it's also perhaps this uh, or earlier discussion about the purpose and and while in some cases there is more freedom and not really yeah. purpose or at least not so I actually constrained
2: had, last night after class a student came up to me um and i had shown them our techniverse platform and got them started with that which i, I showed in barcelona as well and she was like mm-hmm. this is so amazing like i've tried to learn arduino i've tried to learn all of these things and it was so complicated and i couldn't do it And she said she used to be um, a lighting designer and she would constantly, and I just thought it was so incredible that she immediately drew this conclusion, which is sort of what I would say (laughs) is the reason. And so anyway, she was like, I used to be a lighting designer and I would come up with all of these designs and things. And then I would show the technical staff, you know, and they would be like, this is not possible. This is crazy. But I feel like now, just even this like 20 minute experience of seeing how to create a program that controls lights. For example, I have a better idea of how I would design it and what's possible. And she was saying like, Mm. you know, this is so, I was like, yeah, it's really important. Like you don't necessarily have to go then design the whole thing, but at least you're kind of speaking the same language, you know, and I think that, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's the part of the maker DIY culture that I think is really important. It's not that every single kid has to go into computer science or engineering, but just that they mm-hmm. have this ability to think about the whole system and how the parts communicate with each other and, you know, understand basic logic of things.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes makes total sense, which makes me um, also um, think about kind of the, like, even just small exposure to design might lead to who who knows what kind of innovation in the future. Uh And and, um, I know you shared a lot of wisdom about this alternative presence and speculative design Uh uh, when we were talking earlier. Um, So... Can you share? Can you share to the listeners? Like, wow, what is the role of speculative design? Uh, like, what are these alternative presents where we could be mm-hmm. living in if mm-hmm. design or <laughs> engineering went <laughs> to another direction? Would we live in the Stone Age still, or <laughs> how, how do you see? It? <laughs> we live in outer space. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe. I mean, we could. Um Yeah,
2: I think it's. There's like a very simple definition that I really like for design fiction, which is pretty similar to speculative design Again, so many different terms. But um, the designer who coined that term said like design can also be a kind of fiction making design fiction. Mm. So, yeah, it's just having this fictional elements of something that isn't necessarily based in the real world and pushing yourself to imagine and speculate around different possibilities, which I think is a really important uh, process even for practical product design or user experience design, just being able to, um, like even if you can't design for every scenario, being aware of the limits, you know, and how far it could go and when it would break yeah.
1: Mhm. How? What do you think? Um, I mean, this this is amazing. Like, um, so speculative design is, uh, but isn't it also kind of about creating fiction in a way? So you speculate that if the world would go to this direction,
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's. Um, yeah, I'm just thinking. Is there like yeah, a difference between design yeah. fiction and speculative design? I think
2: there's an emphasis on storytelling, which we've talked about a lot and like I've done workshops for example with design students and at the end people at the school have come up to me and said like oh wow like what did you do they're all storytellers now you know like they were (laughs) really good at making this 3d model and making this fancy presentation but now they're also storytellers and I don't think I even really realized that I was teaching them
0: Mm -hmm.
2: how to tell stories like it's actually again going back to what we were talking about like part of the the template in a way like there's little exercises that I'll do to imagine a different world like there's this thing called the future's wheel where you put an event or a trend in the middle and then you think about the implication like immediate implications Mm -hmm. and then the second order and the third order and kind of craft a story out of that um and and yeah I guess another example of where a lot of like speculative design and design fiction is that I always give a science fiction and um these design fiction objects you can think of them kind of like artifacts of the story so it's like I don't know, objects, for example, in Star Trek that like you don't question if they're real or not. Mm -hmm. They're just real in that world. Um, And I think that's like a very successful example of this design fiction, right? It's maybe something that you've never seen in real life, but just the way that the characters are using it and the way that it looks um, just feels very natural in that environment.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm And if you and look at that series, many of the innovations are now... Exactly. ...everyday.
2: Exactly, yeah.
1: <laughs> objects. Yeah. Yeah, and we have even better ones. Than
2: many <laughs> ones so. So. <laughs> yeah, some of them don't happen at all, you know, and some of them...
1: Yeah.
2: We were talking in my class about Minority Report, you know, that movie with the just, yeah. the glove yeah. and the sort of screen that's like this big projection. Yeah. And I think like it's past; like it's not going to happen. <laughs> We're not yeah. going in. But some of my <laughs> students thought it might still happen, which I thought was interesting. So, yeah, well,
1: we'll yeah. we have made some experiments with augmented reality uh, with with Minority Report as as an inspiration. But but uh, yeah, it's still not there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and I agree, you might not happen, at least not in the form like that, how they were envisioning it. Yeah. Um,
2: But there's also, um, like, there's an example that I also really like Um, just going back to things that don't happen, there's uh, this article I'll have to find it and, and send it to you about, I think it was like right when electricity was invented and there's this ad in I believe it was like the New York times or something for this company called electric girls. And it was saying that, um, cause I guess people just had candles, right? So you like, if you had to get up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, you light a candle and go. So it's like mm-hmm. still thinking about it in that way. And they were saying that you can hire these girls with lanterns. Cause it's not like you have um, electricity and outlets and stuff in your house. You're still, as you would a candle, like carrying around these electric lamps. And, um, and she'd be waiting outside your door. So if you get up in the middle of the night and you need to go to the bathroom or something, she'll guide you. <laughs> and, oh. <laughs> yeah, it's just such a crazy <laughs> idea. And then people looked into this later and it's like totally fake. Like it was published in the New yeah. York Times, but there was never a company called Electric Girls. It was just someone who thought this was a good idea. Maybe he thought that if he published this article, like someone would reach out to him and fund this business idea. I have no idea. But it's kind of like a very funny early example of um, a speculative design that is a little bit, which which some designers do. They just put it out as if it's real and just like, you know, see Mm -hmm. what the general feedback how it's received so maybe he was
1: yeah. doing that that's an amazing example hey please, please send it to yeah. me I'll be happy to put it to the description of the episode I, I was uh, just recently in Stockholm uh, visiting the technology museum there mm-hmm. um, and uh, they had uh, just fantastic um, like reprints of um, design fiction from like I think it was like 100 years ago 1910 1920 something like that um, having, uh, for example, people going to home from opera mm-hmm. in their flying <laughs>
2: uh, yeah.
1: cars, basically. Like and you know, that still didn't happen. I know, right.
2: why not? So
1: yeah, I want a flying not? car.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, eventually we are going to get there, perhaps, but it's kind of slower than perhaps expected. <laughs>
2: <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah. I hope
1: so. What do you think? Will it happen one day?
2: <laughs> I don't know. Or you know, know when they like... put out the hoverboard from the movie Back to the yeah. Future. and but it's not like it was they just called it that. So hopefully it's yeah. not like something that's not an actual flying car and they just call it a flying car to satisfy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, but I don't I don't know. I mean I think with climate change, it's a little bit hard to want flying cars. Maybe if there were only flying buses, and we all went on flying buses.
1: Yeah, yeah, (laughs) that's a big drone bus.
2: A big solar panel drone bus, yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. All sustainable energy, and it's like... You want to take this if you support, you know, climate change actions or actions against climate change, solar panel powered.
2: And wind yeah, powered. Uh,
1: I mean, it's, yeah, wind. Well, yeah, wind powered. That would make sense <laughs> because there's a lot of wind <laughs> in the, yeah, I suppose somebody ha- might have, must have thought about it, but, um, Let's see the results. But hey, I mean, we need um, students, don't we? I mean, to invent all these yeah. new um, things. Uh, so talking about education, and you mentioned that you did at the Columbia University in New York. So um, so how do you think, uh, what kind of skills should students be learning? Because there is so much AI automation, a lot of talk about oh, now AI is taking all the jobs from designers or artists.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but, um, and but, but at the same time, of course, uh, perhaps we can think of like human plus AI and is AI as a tool for the designers, but still like what are these responsibilities or skills of human beings in the future that we should be, you know, educating our mm. students for?
2: Like, how to help them navigate
1: this future world, yeah, 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 um, how to be prepared, like, I don't know, yeah, to, to be the designers of the future.
2: Mm. Um, yeah, I think these skills of being able to imagine different scenarios is very important. So I would actually maybe say that speculative design, speculative thinking. I mean, kids think of the craziest things anyway. And this this comes up a lot in our class as well. Like, you know, we often say like, okay, if this was a group of adults, like, you know, they would just follow the instructions. They wouldn't explore. I was at this talk last week where they were saying, That they were showing examples of building things out of Lego and, you know, they would say like build a bridge and it would be a picture of a bridge made out of Lego for teachers and all of the teachers built exactly the bridge in the picture. Like they didn't (laughs) build a different (laughs) bridge. Um, And then they asked like build something out of Lego that describes the emotion you're feeling right now. <laughs> everyone was like completely lost like had no idea what to do um but i think that that is a skill like being able to get from following the picture and making the bridge to then interpret this very open ended they actually changed that question they thought it was too difficult i mean i don't know what i would do Build a Lego sculpture to describe my (laughs) current
1: emotion. I
2: think they changed it to like a childhood memory or something. So it was still um, personal. But uh, yeah, less undefined. And um, yeah, so I think that ability to um, respond to something that is not you're not fully sure what it means is really important, mm-hmm. and then again, going back to just being able to understand like parts of a system and how they work together, and, and zoom out, and and um, with our platform, we're really trying to do this through the Internet of Things and teaching people how um, you know you can get a data from the internet and then apply some basic computation and have it trigger an action and this whole like end to end system of Mm -hmm. where is the data coming from? What are you doing to it? Like, how are you sharing it? Do you want to share Mm it? Um, This sort of like digital justice and responsibility aspect. And then how do you visualize it? Like, how do you communicate Mm. that data? Um, And do you send something back? Like, is it, you know, this full loop? So, Mm. um, and I think that that's a process that can be extremely complex, but designing it as an educational tool and thinking, for example, about an educator who might not have necessarily the background in engineering or computer science, but still just you know, making sure that there are these touch points where they can come in and help problem solve um, mm-hmm. and understand the general like, architecture, I guess, of the system and provide feedback. And then, you know, if you want this, if the student wants, they can go and, um, I guess, do a deeper dive and and be more hardcore for lack of a better word about the system that they're building or you know they could just do it as a model or a prototype so I think at least having that initial step of being able to model or prototype your concept is really important Mm -hmm. and also Mm -hmm. just understanding like that process for example you know if you don't have the exact sensor that you want in your tool set then maybe you can just use a different one that would feel and look or sound the same right so maybe for example like you need a camera you don't have a camera so you just use a light sensor and talk about how Mm -hmm. it's going to detect a change and that's going to be the output um which is interesting to observe in children like it comes very naturally to some but then it's something that um, requires explaining and practice for others. I don't Mm -hmm. know how that works, but that's what I've seen.
1: (laughs) Sounds amazing. Hey, thanks for sharing. I mean, a lot of things come to my mind. First of all, um, you mentioned about uh, your company's product and I remember you were showing like the the demo where there is um, Device another side of the planet and that's gathering data. And then you make decisions like based on like, what will your device do? Like a show light or mm-hmm. like an alert. That, okay. Now, now the temperature is certain in the another country. And then perhaps you make some decisions. So, so perhaps, um, is it like, um, one, one of the skills that, um, people should be developing is like the ability to be Informed about like what is useful for you or mm-hmm. for the community or for the society, and and then make mm-hmm. decisions or design choices accordingly. And and AI is is perhaps not so good in making this kind of picture of a very complex scenario, yeah. in, including this kind of design fiction aspect or or future aspect, which would be actually good for human beings or for the society or Mm -hmm. community.
2: Yeah, Yeah, I think that sort of experience or I don't know, maybe there's also a social element there, being able to really immediately imagine how people would respond and react to
1: things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I was just thinking about the example isn't it also that um that if uh we educate students to do things or i mean create things then it's kind of natural then to communicate with other people as well mm-hmm. you co-designers right and then then you have coffees with them and then you, suddenly your life is happier and uh you get this meaning for life. Mm -hmm. What do you think about this? Because, I mean, if if there is a lot of automation, then we human beings also need something to do. (laughs)
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. So, you're
2: asking what will we do?
1: Yeah, I mean, like, um, yeah, that's, well, that's perhaps the big question. If we go to future, let's say, 2040, and how does the future look like? What do you think? will we recognize the world of
2: 2040 um i think it depends on the age of the person i think for example my aunt might not recognize a lot of things <laughs> in 2040 um but i think like my little brother would have no problem recognizing yeah. the world in 2040 um Yeah, I think that it's already sort of you can see such a shift between rural areas and cities, right? And when you Mm -hmm. maybe go to a more rural area where there isn't so much infrastructure and technology, there's still like people at the gas station helping you pump gas or at you know, the mm-hmm. little store, you're interacting with people as you're going shopping. Whereas in the city, it's all just like self checkout everywhere, there are no yeah. people. Um, so I think that will be the weirdest thing, but I think it's kind of gradual. So I guess when I hear your question, I'm imagining like I wake up tomorrow and it's 2040 and I don't experience this gradual change, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so that's kind of what I would imagine is or like expect is just a lack of, um, people where you're used to seeing people (laughs) in these different stores and spaces. And, um, I don't know. It's interesting, I think, you know, so many more people are working from home now, so uh-huh. it's interesting to also think about what's going to happen maybe to office buildings and if that's going to continue or um, maybe that will go back to the way it was. But I would, wouldn't would be surprised if, for example, like uh-huh. big places like the New York Times maybe there won't be such big offices for a lot of these big corporations anymore. I remember mm. I was at this conference earlier this year. Um, do you want me to pause? Can you hear the ambulance? Or is it okay?
1: Um, no, okay. It's, uh, I cannot. No way. We, we don't have to pause. Yeah, it's, okay. it's, it's, it's uh, of course. Sad, uh, somebody's. Uh, in, <laughs> Sad, in, yeah. But it's it's also New York sound, isn't it? <laughs> it's uh, it's just giving a good um, good soundscape. <laughs> well, of course, uh, in ambulance case, uh, hopefully not, nothing serious has happened. Yeah, it's so reminding it you. I And
2: it's the ambulance. Yeah, yeah. Um, sorry, now I lost my train of thought.
1: Yeah, you were thinking about the cities and offices and there was, there's a lot of discussion now in Helsinki, uh, like, like companies are worried that there is not, or there is less customers because people are working.
2: Yeah. I was talking, homes and I was talking to my neighbor and she said that at their office, if you don't commit to coming four days a week, you don't have a permanent desk anymore. You just have a flex desk. Which is also kind of interesting to think about, like, I don't know, then do you, like, you know, right now I feel like I'm very attached to my desk. Like, I have all my little things on my desk at work. Yeah. I don't like just working at a random desk. Like, I like going and working mm-hmm. at my desk. But maybe if that's just not an option or how things function, like, I don't know. There will be some other way we express ourselves or we won't <laughs> express ourselves, way yeah. So maybe also just thinking about, yeah, like what is that office space? It's just designed to be this more like sterile environment where you can go sit yeah. at any desk and they all look the same instead of having everyone there represented.
1: Mm. When we have um, the shift, Uh, from like dedicated desks Mm -hmm. to um, like you just move around with your laptops does it mean uh, what does it mean for design practices is Mm -hmm. it like that you have to always then design if you want to design with your hands and create new everyday engineering objects then you have to go to these dedicated spaces maker spaces Mm -hmm. and is um, is it actually a concern that we should be thinking about or should are we going to wrong direction Mm. with all these open spaces and open? I don't
2: know. I mean, I personally think that's the hardest part for like my team of working remotely is designing physical things Mm -hmm. and not being able to just sort of like peer over someone's shoulder and see what they're drawing or doing. And, um, you know, maybe having to wait like two hours to see something and, Maybe it's not exactly what you envision. Maybe it's better than you envisioned, you know. Um, but, um, but yeah, I think that it is. You know, maybe it's like a skill that um, will evolve, and it won't be as complicated. Maybe we'll have the cameras yeah. everywhere, <laughs> and we'll just be watching each other from our different spaces um mm. but but yeah I I think the hands-on components are definitely really challenging to to recreate um mm. but yeah I I do like that idea I mean that I guess goes off of the idea that you would still live in the same city I am um So if you live in the same city, you could meet up at one of these spaces and co-design together and Mm. have one day where you do that, Mm. which some people, like some friends say that's more efficient of just like going in and being like, this is what we're working on because we're here. And then when I go home, you know, I'll do all the other things that don't really require as much interaction.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, makes makes totally sense. Um, hey, we talked about uh, storytelling earlier, and uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I would like to ask about the about your um, life, uh, some turning point either in working <laughs> life or personal life or studies. Um, yeah. So, is there something that uh, made you think differently again about life, about studying, about? learning about skills, anything?
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess there are a lot of things that come to mind with this question. Um, I was trying to think of something that's maybe more relevant (laughs) to (laughs) what's happened. (laughs) Um, I was thinking, do you know this sculpture, The Strand Beast by Tio Jansen? It's like a wind-powered giant.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, I know it's beast that comes along the that's crazy. The shore.
2: Yeah. I, I forget where I first saw it. I think I was an undergrad and I was I had major was majored in physics, but I took this class that was like intro to kinetic art or something. because mm-hmm. I thought this was gonna be a really cool way for me to apply what I'd learned, you know, in electronics and this and that to uh, art, which I was also always really interested in. And they showed this video and I just thought it was the most amazing thing <laughs> I had ever seen. Um, and yeah, I just loved that it didn't require, you know, it's all just like wind power and the weights of the water and it just works perfectly. And so, just seeing all of these different engineering principles, like applied to something so beautiful mm-hmm. um, was really, yeah, it made me think that I could again, like maybe think outside of what I was being shown. And like, maybe I was struggling with trying to figure out what exactly I wanted to do, but then I was like, it's not, you know, I could use it to create really cool, giant sculptures <laughs> at the end of the day. Like it's again, going back and using these same principles of understanding how things work. Um, and yeah, I remember that had a really big impact on me. I showed everyone. <laughs> I know, I think I even showed my professors, like I had not done very well on an exam and I was meeting with a professor and he was asking me like, you know, but what do you think you want to do? Like, how can I help you? And we watched this video together and he was like, okay, I get it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I want to do like this. No, (laughs) I want to
2: make this. I want
1: to create something that is different from this, but still like spectacular. Wow. Yeah.
2: yeah. Um, And I think he even said like, you know, you could also then work for like a museum or something and I didn't get it then I thought he meant like I was just going to give tours of the museum. And I was like, no, that's not what I want to do. But then I did end up actually building this exhibit at a science museum later. And I realized what he was saying and that there's, you know, a lot of, again, combining all of these different like skills and Mm -hmm. just having the opportunity to show people how something works through designing something very like interactive and tangible um, and kind of like exposing this magic in a way. Mm.
1: that's amazing thanks for sharing so um, so it's um, if I think about like like a more generic learning it's like it's important to be ready kind of to be inspired and then just dream big Based on the inspiration you got, <laughs> right? I mean, what was a,
2: that slide that uh, I remember? It was like, "Do whatever you want, do whatever you want, wherever you want, and make it magnificent."
1: <laughs> yeah. <okay>. <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah, that's just good. like that. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Same makes a, yeah. Makes totally sense. <laughs> hey, thanks for sharing, and, and, and it's funny that you mentioned about that. Um, been um, art. I, I, it's, it has been a big inspiration also for me, and it's um, it's totally mind blowing. I don't know. It's it's uh, it's always if when you see this kind of example. It's like okay, well, how how this person even got this idea? It's like
2: yeah. Wow. I mean, I felt that way when I saw the automata videos as well. I yeah. was like, how do you imagine this machine in your mind, and then. It didn't seem like they really had, they sketch it, but they just take a piece of wood and start carving until it works. Like, you know, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: now I would be like, oh, we have to 3D model it and we have to make sure that this part works and then we'll 3D print it. Like, it's so different from how I would do that. And I think that that's also just like such an amazing gift to be able to make something literally kind of out of thin air.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, automata is another thing. I have to link also all to all these uh, fantastic projects and examples from the description, so that mm-hmm. the listeners can check them out.
2: Um, yeah, I think I, those videos. I can. They were. Um, I showed them to my class, so I have the link. In okay,
1: there. from Sarah. Herman. Yeah,
2: and I was actually also showing someone a friend the other day at a cafe, and like, the waiter came by and he watched it as well. Really? <laughs> he was yeah. like. Yeah. He was like, this is so cool. You know, like when I was younger in Brazil, I had to make all of my own toys. And Mm. this is just reminding me of that experience of just making something out of, I don't know if we should call it trash, but (laughs) whatever (laughs) is lying around treasure and um and he was like now you know i like go to the toy store and i just buy my kids whatever and i feel like they don't have that same experience yeah. that i did that was so explorative
1: that's amazing yeah and, and
2: i wrote to sarah and i was like see your work as even like moving this random leader in this cafe <laughs> you're yeah, making
1: such that. an impact wow well, i do th- i mean that's that's perhaps um one of the values uh, that we share like openness like like Mm. having discussions in cafeterias and then who knows, I mean, how much, perhaps that video then inspired uh, the waiter as well to to think about the next step or next thing to yeah, do. Yeah, maybe knows? he went
2: and built something with his kids. That night. And then he was telling me actually also it's kind of relevant, like he was like, you know, now we don't think about anything, like he had this little kiosk machine Mm -hmm. handheld machine for credit cards and stuff and he said you know this wasn't working for 10 hours last week and i had to do all the calculations by hand like everyone's bill i had to get a piece of paper Mm -hmm. and write it all down and and he was like it was so slow like and then he was like but like i don't know 30 years ago like how long ago like that's how everything worked and it was it wasn't that much slower like that's just how it was like yeah it's like I was I used to be good at math and now (laughs) like I just let this machine do everything and I felt like so challenged but you know after a few hours I kind of got into it but it's just like as if it was the end of the world because they didn't have their credit
1: card (laughs) machines working. Absolutely you know yesterday (laughs) evening I was in a cafeteria In the city center of Helsinki with my friend and uh, the waiter wanted to calculate everything in her head and I was like okay wow Uh that's that's amazing and uh, she was saying that yeah she wants to do it just to practice and I was like okay well I I do the same also I always try to calculate everything in my head just for fun and just to keep it you know because it's a it's a actual actual um, kind of thread i mean if you think about taxi drivers i mean how how many maps they nowadays use or Mm -hmm. you know like paper maps or how much knowledge they have nowadays it's all in the navigation you just navigate from a to b and then you follow the route And, (laughs) and if the route is wrong then they still tend to you know trust the machine and uh uh, just some months ago I, I was saying to a taxi driver in Helsinki that hey this is not the right route no but the navigation is saying that this is the right route uh-huh. no but it's this is not a good idea because there is this construction and, and you know just started yesterday evening so it's not a good idea to take this one and uh, no, he was just insisting and then we took that longer road all that, that had that traffic jam and traffic you know and it's like you know, all this knowledge—it's kind of disappearing, and um, skills.
2: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I got in a taxi in DC last week, and it was a regular taxi. I was like trying to call an Uber, and it was taking forever. And then finally, um, this taxi came. it like, "Oh my gosh, thank you so much!" I was like, <laughs> felt very stranded. And I told him where I was going, and he was like, "Oh, okay." And you know, didn't look at any map, knew it. And it's like, oh, this is so nice. <laughs> <laughs> I feel so confident. I mean, DC is also pretty easy to navigate, I guess. Yeah, very grid-based system, but, um, but yeah, it was like really refreshing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all like um, to think like, okay, well, what is the role of role of people with all these calculators and, and of course, AI. But um, we mm-hmm. still need to learn all the time. So, hey, I, then I would like to ask you, like, what did you learn last time? And where did it happen? Was it, like, online or through a book or <coughs> playing a game or anything?
2: What do you mean by learn? Like, something that surprised me or, like, an actual skill that and, I
1: learned? Um, ah, you can decide. You can decide. <laughs> <laughs> you can decide. That's Well, that's that's amazing. Uh Point. Yeah. Uh,
2: both, if yeah. you like. <laughs> both. Oh, my oh,
1: gosh. We can start from one, but.
2: <laughs> um, I don't know when I last really learned a skill. I need to be better about that. Um, but I was thinking about this one presentation that I saw last week uh, at the conference I went to. This organization called chasing two rabbits i think there's just two rabbits chasing two rabbits um where they were thinking about um i guess the woman who founded it specifically her research was around uh, hunter-gatherer tribes and um i guess in these tribes the literacy and Like quality of education is very poor and the kids don't do very very well and so she was studying um you know why they're not learning is I think what she said but then she went there and she was actually like they're not not learning like these four-year-olds can fish and like go into the jungle and find a specific tree that will cure malaria like They know more than I do about survival, but like, why isn't this education system working for them? And, um, they, you know, came to a few different conclusions. The main one being that the education is in French and they speak this native language. Um, Mm -hmm. so it was just a lot to have the kids learn French and then learn something in French, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're learning a new language. That's, that's a lot to <laughs> do two eight yes. things at once. Um, and, and so they developed this curriculum that involves these little, and they were also thinking, um, <clears throat> you know, it's like they're doing this fishing and this hunting and everything, but it's not for fun. Like they have to be immediately part of this tribe and it's kind of like work, like they're working since age two or something um so it might also be hard for them to commit to like going to this school right. for a certain amount of time a day and that's just not the lifestyle um and so they recorded all of these different lessons through songs and stories on these portable radios uh, in their language that are solar powered and hand cranked. So the idea is that the kids can take them around with them and then just whenever they have time, they can listen. Um, and it you know, improved dramatically and now they're doing super well and it's like not so disruptive to their traditional lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I was just like really moved by that. You know, it wasn't because a lot of other examples were, in a way, just bringing this like Western style of education mm. and dropping it somewhere. Um, whereas I felt like these researchers and educators were just really careful to like observe and identify the problem and come up with a very like s- specific context based solution. Um, so that was really eye opening to learn about.
1: Oh, thank you for sharing. Very eye-opening. And uh, I'm just thinking about higher education and, and uh, how, how it happens nowadays at the master's level so much in English. And I mean, we are having this conversation, of course, in English,
0: mm-hmm. but,
1: uh, is it mm-hmm. really the most efficient way? It's, it's, uh, and uh, especially, of course, for primary school, but, uh, but it's might have implications to higher education. Um, mm-hmm. Wow! Thanks for sharing. Yeah, yeah, uh, this is very deep. Now I moved as well.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I'll I'll share it with you. I mean, it says they have like already thirty three percent higher literacy and numeracy skills, and like ninety percent of the classrooms are now meeting the standards. And I think it was like ten percent before. So Mm
1: -hmm. that's how you really really make a change.
2: Yeah. Um, exactly.
1: Then and this has been amazing. Um, this uh, what kind of this final question is kind of related to what you just shared. Um, um, so, I mean, we live, of course, in the um, world of today. But uh, then um, we all have dreams, and uh, there is the future, and that's why the podcast is called Cloud Reaches So there is something like <laughs> cloud or. can be also online, (laughs) future dreams, something that we should be reaching out. So um, who do you think is this kind of cloud reacher in your mind? Can be also an organization or a person, somebody who is Mm. um, bringing new ideas forward?
2: Mm. Yeah, I, I guess I was thinking about it specifically as maybe someone I know when I saw this question. But... There are also definitely organizations like the one I just mentioned Mm, (laughs) that I think (laughs) is a cloud reacher, right? Um, But yeah, I have this good friend, Sophia, who has a really amazing um, app, like digital tool set for 3D modeling that's very intuitive. And I feel like she's always trying to incorporate like the latest cutting edge technology and think about different use cases for it um she's incorporated like virtual or augmented reality elements and now they're doing something um you know and it's just for 3d design and we were talking last week and she was asking me about what something about what they're developing now and like would it be useful for electronics manufacturing if there could be this really um I guess like high resolution 3d model of a circuit board before you get it and I was saying no (laughs) because (laughs) you know you kind of need to like test it and hook it up to things but then I thought about it more and I was like well I guess you could also build a simulator for that stuff and maybe that would be a really creative way to test things I don't exactly know how accurate Mm -hmm. it would be. But, you know, maybe it would save time and like shipping and manufacturing of different samples, which is a huge problem for us and can lead to months of delays. Um, and, And yeah, I just feel like she's always sort of absorbing something from the different conversations she sees and then thinking about it in the context of her own work and just really like pushing the limits. I'd be happy to introduce you to her yeah, as well. Absolutely. I think she'd be a great guest. Yeah, yeah
1: please. I, Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. Darren, um this was a pleasure. Thank you so yeah. much for joining me for this episode.
2: Thank you for having me. It was really, really great conversation, and I feel very inspired in my day.
1: Absolutely, I learned so much. feel
2: inspired for your night.
1: Yeah, (laughs) your evening. It's it's literally (laughs) it's six o'clock, but you know it's so dark. It's you know
2: yeah. Well, they did the daylight savings here as well.
1: Yeah, but the you know how many hours of
2: daylight do you have?
1: Um, I guess now it's like uh, from eight o'clock until four maximum, something like that. But uh, we are losing every day, like. A lot of minutes and uh, in uh, it then uh, it's like <laughs> four minutes hours every day. Yeah, like in Helsinki I think it's around four hours <laughs> in the Christmas time and in Lapland it's like three months of night. So you don't have any sunrise at all.
2: No sunrise.
1: No, no, you don't in the winter. It's like you no. don't you don't have sun basically. <laughs> it's like sun doesn't <laughs> exist. You have to actually climb into a hill. To see the sun, uh-huh. if you are lucky, if there is no clouds. Wow! Yeah, I did it once. I was I saw the full moon and the sun at the same time. It's That's pretty amazing. Thing.
2: Yeah, I guess it was a lunar eclipse last night. Did yeah. you hear about that?
1: No, I didn't.
2: We didn't see it, but it was at like five a.m. here.
1: I don't okay, know. okay, I have to check it out
2: yeah yeah but again with the sun and the moon you're still going back to that presentation with the moth oh, yeah. and the sun and the moon
1: yeah it's like you know it's you know, like 20 the,
2: minute story it's just so yeah, applicable.
1: yeah like a yeah i was i mean i still so so remember it was like sun was and sun and moon were in different directions like directly opposite directions and i was on the hill yeah. and like you see that's barely like a uh, sun coming up and then going back again very soon
0: mm-hmm.
1: and mm-hmm. then one full full moon at the other side yeah yeah it's one of these experiences yeah in in some other alternative present uh, perhaps we would be living in mars and, on mars and i enjoying like <laughs> this kind of feelings there who knows yeah yeah, Darren. Hey, welcome back anytime to the episode. I, I think we could oh, have a, like a longer one uh, anytime.
2: For sure. A, a yeah, we will. Time. I'd be happy to. Let me know and keep in touch. I'll send you those links. Let me know if I forget anything. And yeah, I look forward to hearing it.
1: Excellent. Thanks, Darren. So this was Cloud Rachers. To